Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Well, good morning, CityWalk. How's it going? It's so good to see you all. Uh, I'm glad that you all are here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, or this is your first time here, or maybe you're just joining us online, my name is Josh, and, and I have the privilege of serving with the, uh, the Next Generation Ministries, and, which usually means I'm over there hanging out with the kids, or if you're around on Wednesday nights, I hang out with the teenagers as well, and I, I have a great time and love doing that. Um, so how many of you um, probably ate uh, too much, but uh, how many of you, this is your favorite holiday, like a Thanksgiving? Can you just raise your hand for me? To me, some of you are embarrassed to say it. I mean, it, it's, it's a great holiday because it's the only time that's socially acceptable to have thirds and dessert, right? Because usually if you have seconds and thirds, uh, you probably shouldn't go back for dessert. Or you feel guilty, but everybody's like, no, 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 it's great. We have just as much dessert as we do uh, anything else. So I am so thankful to be here with you all, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, if you uh, have a copy of the scripture, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't, that's no problem. Uh, we will be... Uh, the, the verses will be here on the screen for you. But if you have a copy, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So I hope everybody had a great, I uh, hope you had some time off, a few days off. And, and uh, I love having a few days off, especially when the kids are out of school. Sometimes I feel guilty. I have a day off and my kids have to go to school. I have to legally obligate, I'm legally obligated to say that. I don't feel that guilty, but sometimes I feel guilty because my kids are at school and I have the day off. But it's awesome to be able to spend time with them. And uh, they always, they're always in a better mood because they don't have to get up early for school. And maybe uh, as I was thinking about preparing this message and I was thinking about the kids being off school, um, one of the things that came to my mind is, is I feel like school, as a dad now, is kind of like, I don't know if I'm middle-aged, you guys can, you know, I'm 37, you guys can decide for yourself if I'm middle-aged, but I, you know, as I've gotten older, I feel like school didn't really prepare me for fatherhood, and maybe you're probably like, you know, it's not supposed to, but I didn't feel like it prepared me for all the things that I come into contact with now. Right? So you're probably like me. You went through 12 years of school, right? You know, kindergarten all the way, graduated. Maybe some of you haven't graduated yet. I've had the privilege of, to go through four years of college and, and even some master's work and things like that, right? But I've never, never felt like I've been prepared when my wife asked me, I, the garbage disposal is broken. Would you fix that? Right? Or, or, you know, there's a hole, you know, my very strong son punches a hole in the wall and I got to fix it and I got to call Rob to come help me because I have no idea what to do to fix the hole in the wall. But hey, listen, in 11th grade, I did interpret some E.E. E. Cummings poetry, if you wanted you know, anything like that. That didn't really help me, right? So I know if you're a teacher, I love what you do. I'm not trying to knock on what teachers do, but here's the thing. I don't feel like it prepared me uh, for the, the big picture of life, because, again, my wife's never asked me to interpret, a, you know, second century poetry or, you know, 16th century poetry. She asked me to fix the wall. So when we think about fixing things, even a novice like me, even someone like me has the ability to look at, uh, look at you know, building something and to say, you know what, it's, a, it's important where you start. 
When you're building something, you know, even as, as little kids, we look at Legos, and we, we know that if we want to build something high, we've got to build something wide, right? We've got to build a strong foundation. And today, as we get into to the scripture, we're going to look at what Jesus actually says about building a strong foundation. In fact, one of the, uh, I was remembering a time when my, one of my friends, his house, he had this in his, in his master bedroom, he had this massive crack on the wall. Massive crack. And so, you know, he, you know, hey, Josh, what should I do? Well, you should call somebody. That's what I should do. So he called somebody. Handyman came over, looked at the crack in the wall, and he's like, yeah, I can put some plaster on that. We'll put some paint on it. It was like Picasso working. I was like, wow, look at that guy go. And so he put the plaster on the wall, painted it, and, um, and it was good. It was good. Problem is, about a month later, a friend calls. He's like, dude, the, the crack's back. Like, what is going on with the crack? So, so he called the same handyman. Handyman came back, repeated the process, plaster, paint, went on his way. Well, you probably know where I'm going with the story. Three weeks, four weeks later, crack popped up again. So my friend, you know, wise as he is, says, maybe I should find a different handyman. Maybe I should call somebody else. So he called somebody else. Guy comes over, stands in front of the, the crack in the wall, and he's just kind of staring at it. And my friend's like, so? Can you fix it? Guy's like, no. And of course, you know, my friend not knowing much about, you know, how to fix things, he's like, that's what I pay you for. How could you not be able to fix it? He goes, you don't have a crack problem. You have a foundation problem. I can't fix that. And so a lot of times when we look at life, when we bring in from, from that, that illustration into our own life, a lot of times when we look at the struggles, or the problems, or the frustrations we have, a lot of times we're looking for the, the cracks in life, the, the, the times when we're trying to do our best to, to, you know, take some inventory of what's going on, or we're going through a hard time, and we struggle with the idea that sometimes it's not just a crack that we're dealing with, it's actually a shifting foundation. And that's a much bigger problem. And so as we go into this story, we're in the middle of a series called Parables, and Matt did a fantastic job last week, and this week we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And in fact, we're going to be at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And just, just to give you guys a little, just a, a refresher for the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes into the topics ranging from anger, divorce, revenge, hate, Lust. He covered things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, the brokenhearted, those who, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so much more. And if you want to read it, I would encourage you, it's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. But the beautiful thing about when Jesus taught was, is he never taught anything without giving us an illustration of what to do with it. In fact, I heard, I heard a speaker one time say he never taught theology, which is just the study of God, without putting footology attached to it, right? He always taught something and then said, now go do it. And he often taught it through parables, through stories, through, through engaging stories, and is one just like we're about to read right now. So we're going to be at the end of, uh, of Jesus' sermon here. In Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 24. Like I said, if you have your, uh, your, your scripture, you can follow along with me. If not, it'll be right here on the screen. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded on that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded on that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. So as we look at these scriptures, Jesus introduces us at the end of the sermon, he introduces us to two men. To two men, and I wanna walk us through the parable and talk about what these two men have in common and then what these two men are different. And as we walk through, I want to try and help us to apply and help us to put some, like I said, footology to Jesus's theology. So the first thing I want to do is I want to talk to you about how these men were similar. And the first of is both of these men had the same dream of building a house. Both of the men in the story had the same dream. They wanted to build a house. And in fact, in scripture, house can refer to many different things. It doesn't just refer to a physical brick and mortar place that someone lived. In the scripture, Jesus and, 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 other, and other writers talked about how a house can be a life. All of us are building a life. No matter if you're here for the first time or the 150th time, we are building a life. We have dreams. We have things we want to do. Whether you're 12 or 82, we are building something. Maybe you have a dream of moving into a certain career. You have a dream of getting into a certain school or, or getting that next promotion, making the varsity team, buying your dream home. All of us have dreams. No one wakes up every day and says, you know what? I hope I fail at life. No, we're building something. We're all trying to build a better life. The second thing, family. In the Old Testament, David, King David, was often, his, his, his family was often referred to as the house of David. So as we're trying to think about building a house, a lot of us are trying to build a family. See, the thing is, no one goes to the altar in marriage planning to get divorced. We're trying to build the dream of a good marriage. No one has kids with the, with the idea of driving them away from us. We want them to be productive members of society, or depending on what age you have, we may just want to stop getting them to chew on their shoes. However, we're trying to build our family. We're all trying to build our family. The third way that scripture talks about a house is the country. Again, in the Old Testament, when we look at the, the nation of Israel, it's often referred to as the house of Israel. The house of Israel. And when we look at that, we can obviously see, when we look at our country, that it's incredibly divided. It's incredibly divided. All of us can look at it and go, we have tension in almost every single area of our country. But all of us are trying to build it better. We're trying to build it, right? In race, we have division. Socioeconomic classes, we have division. In religion, we have division. Politics, we have division. And all of us, as Jesus followers, or, or just even as members of society, we want to build it better. So those are some of the things that they have in common. We're all building something. The second thing these men have in common is they all experience the same teaching. They experience the same teaching. As you look at those verses we read, you'll see that it said, whoever hears these words. Both of the verses say the same thing. They both heard the sermon that was the Sermon on the Mount. You'd be, probably be surprised to know that they probably went to the same church, heard the same teachings of Jesus. They were very similar in that. They both were committed to hearing 
divine truth. But as we look into it, these men were incredibly different in one major area. See, Jesus separates them and says one man was wise and one man was foolish. So let's look at why Jesus calls them foolish. Why is it foolish? We'll start with foolish. The foolish man built his house on the sand. You see it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. It says, but everyone who hears these words of mine doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man building his house on the sand. And in fact, that word foolish there in the original language is the same word we use for moron. <laughs> it's kind of harsh, but that's how Jesus felt about somebody who sits and listens doesn't put any action behind what they're actually hearing. And see, Jesus uses this analogy of sand, and he uses it brilliantly. Because if we picture building something on sand, maybe some of you have been to the beach, right? We don't take a jackhammer to the beach if we want to build a castle in the sand, do we? No. You can go to Walmart, and for $25, you can buy all the tools you need to build a house on sand. Right? You, you can, the, the, the plastic shovels, the plastic buckets, uh, all those things you can buy, and it's pretty easy to build a house on sand. And here's the thing sand represents our life. See, so many times in culture, what's, what's happening is, is that the culture is telling us build your foundation on your bank account. Build your foundation on your bank account. If you're 401k and what you see on your, your bank app is good, you're good. It's, a lot of times it tells us to build our foundation on a career. Most of us will spend more time working than anything else between the ages of 20 and 55. Working. We build our life on a career. Maybe it's on pleasure. Maybe your foundation is, man, I just want to get to the next thing that feels good. I want to travel. I want to go to the next restaurant. And we build it on our pleasures. Maybe it's on your skills. Maybe you're really talented at something. And you build, you're building your life on that talent, which means that if that talent goes away, life crumbles. See, the problem is, is all those things are like sand. They'll shift. If you build your life on financial security, what happens when the stock market crashes and you lose half of your retirement five years before you're scheduled to retire? If we build our life around our skill, what happens when that skill goes away? Maybe it's a sport, you get injured, you can't play anymore. The sand will shift. If you build your life on a career and the company makes massive layoffs, what happens? the sand will shift. See, the foolish man here, he heard. He hears the scripture. What makes him foolish is not the fact that he's not in church. What makes him foolish is he built his house on the wrong thing. As he goes through life, he's, he's counting on the wrong thing to hold his life up. And the foolish man is going to build his house on the sand. Second difference we see is that the wise man built his house on the rock. We look at verse 24, it says, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. He heard the words of Jesus and he did the hard thing. He obeyed what they said. He heard the words of Jesus, he did something 
hard and he obeyed what he said. Jesus is telling his hearers and us today, sitting in the church is great. But if we don't take the time outside of church to apply scripture, we're just fooling ourselves. When we apply scripture, it's an investment of time, right? It's an investment of time. When you, when you sit here in church, I think we say it a lot when we do our opening announcements is that we know you could be other places. We know there's other things to do. There's probably, you know, food that needs to be bought or something else needs to happen right now that you're taking the time away and saying, I'm going to go to church instead. We know that that's a sacrifice and, and we know and we're so thankful that you're here, but we don't want us to fool ourselves, including me, that, that just sitting here is going to do anything for us in the long run. Just like me wanting to work out and lose weight would do nothing if I just sat on my couch. It's the same thing. Because, see, listen, just like the sand is easy to dig in, the rock is incredibly hard. Right? If you want to you dig into rock, it takes time. So much time that if we're comparing the two, the person that's building a house over here on the sand and the person that's building a house over here on the rock, the person that's building this house on the sand probably has a barbecue going before you got to even have a foundation. Right? He's probably already done. Because all it takes is, hey, we'll move a little sand, we'll dig a little dirt, we'll build, and we're good. Over here, the guy is using a jackhammer and a backhoe because he's got to move rocks. He's got to dig deep. He's got to go into something that's much harder. It takes heavy machinery because you don't, have to, you don't only build it on there, you secure it on there. When you build your house on the rock, we have to go deep. And then we secure it to the rock. So I'm going to take a break here for just one quick second. Because I know that some of you, some of you, this may be your first time back to church in a while. Some of you, this may be your first time to church ever. And you're just investigating faith. And then for some of you, maybe you've heard about religion. And you've heard the idea that, wait a minute, if Josh, what you're saying is, is that I just have to do things for God and he'll love me. I just have to do things for God and I'll be, and I'll be accepted. And you're saying, listen, I've tried that, and it was miserable. I just ran myself in circles. I burnt out, and that was it. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear me on this. You are right in thinking that. That is not what I'm saying. If you grew up in that context, and you left because all people did was judge you on the things that you didn't do, I want to put your mind at ease and make sure you know that relationship with God comes with, comes with the, the, excuse me, relationship with God always comes before the requests of God. Relationship with God always comes before the requests of God. And I want you to understand that if you don't have a relationship with God, that is where you start. Right? When, when, I, when, I, when I met Julie, she didn't start asking me to clean the house. Right? She didn't start giving me my honey-do list. No. When I met, we just hung out. We just spent time together. We just got to know each other. Then the list comes later, right? But we just got to know each other. Guys, when we think about our relationship with God, if you don't have a relationship with God, just get to know him. Just spend time with him. That's what he wants from you. 
It starts right here in church, but relationship with God always comes before the request. See, he's not a manager that only cares about the list of things you're doing or a drill sergeant simply barking out orders for you to obey. He has the heart of a loving father. He loves you. He wants you to know that there is a life that you can build on the rock. And it's much better than anything else that we're chasing. So if you're looking to take a step, like I said, if that's you, and you're looking to take a step, just open up your scripture and just read it. Just get to know God. Get to know him better. Hear his heart. As you open up the Bible and read some of the Gospels, you'll hear the heart of God. And Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. Get a relationship with God. Take that first step. I implore you to reading it. How, excuse me. However, for those of us who are Jesus followers, friends, listen. Jesus is giving us a very hard reality. We can say we believe Jesus when we say we love our enemies, but are you really doing it? Are you really showing love to people you don't like? Are you really praying for people you don't like and that don't like you? Maybe it's becoming friends with somebody on the other side of the aisle. Maybe it's praying for somebody you normally wouldn't pray for. But are we really doing it? We can say we believe Jesus when he says, give me, out of, give me your tithe out of your first fruits. And sometimes we give to God out of the leftovers. We can say that we believe the Bible is the authority that we should live by, but we ignore the pages that offend us. And friends, listen, as a Jesus follower, we've got to remember that God is saying it is great that you listen and you hear. But in order for us to take our relationship to the next step, we've got to start obeying what it says. We've got to start obeying what it says. If you do, you'll change, it'll change your spiritual walk. So... Giving, giving you that idea that we've got to tar- start taking some steps, I, I would like to just take a second and give you the why. Because even as Jesus followers, we can look at God as some kind of task manager. In fact, if my story, like it, I looked at God growing up in high school and even a little bit of college, I looked at God as like a stressed out CEO, right? He's at the top of some sky rise going, oh, that kid Josh, he just won't get it right. I don't know what I'm going to do with him. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this thing into practice. Get over there and do that. You talk to him, go over there. That's how I felt God saw me. As me just kind of banging away, and I felt that he was just always frustrated with me. And I can never do anything right. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a Jesus follower in the room, and that's what you think. You think that I can never do anything right. I try my best, and I never feel like God is satisfied with me. So let me give you a little bit of the reason why. The first thing is we have to, the love for God, the love for God should drive our obedience. I'm not asking you to obey because... You have to. I'm asking you to obey because we love God. In fact, look at Paul. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, For the love of Christ compels us. Why? Since we have reached this conclusion, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died 
for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. The Apostle Paul is telling all of us today, the love of Christ compels me. Why? Because he died for me. That's why. Because he's already given me everything I need. The story I like to tell with this I like to tell this story because a lot of us don't realize what we've been forgiven. You ever heard the saying that who, he who has been forgiven much loves much? Right? You, you, and that, that principle lives in the story of the gospel. Some of my students in here that, that, that kind of hang out with me on Wednesday, they probably heard this story. I've told it to them before. But imagine this. Imagine, you know, you're kind of living your life. Right? You're living your life, and, and uh, as you're living your life, uh, you have a, a, a great aunt who comes to live with you. She kind of hangs out every day. You have a nice porch on the front you, on, on, on the house, and, and she sits in a rocking chair every day, every morning. Goes out, sits in the rocking chair. So you, every morning, you kind of leave, and you, hey, see ya. And she says bye, and, and you go off to your job. One day, you go off to your job, and before you leave, you're like, hey, I, I, have, a, I, have, a, I have an envelope I need mailed. I already put the stamp on it. When the mailman comes, would you mind just handing it to him? I'm going to call her grandma. Grandma says, yeah, sounds good. I'll handle that. So you hand her the envelope, head off to work, good to go. The mailman comes to the house. Grandma's sitting there in her rocking chair. The mailman comes to the house. She says, hey, uh, could you take this and mail it for me? And the mailman looks at the envelope and he says, hey, there's not enough postage on this. I know a lot of you probably like, what is postage? What are you talking about? There's not enough postage on this. You're short. You're short one stamp. It's going to be like a three-cent stamp. And so grandma pulls out her little purse and gives him a five-cent and says, keep the change and have a good day. So you come back from work that night, and, and grandma's still sitting on the porch, and you walk past. She says, hey, and I use myself, hey, Josh, uh, just so you know, uh, you didn't give me enough postage on the, on, the, on the envelope, so I had to pay the five cents. And, and what would I say, right? Thanks. I'm heading inside, you know, like, thank you. That's good. I appreciate it, Grandma. But let's just change the scenario just a little bit. Now, same, same scenario. Grandma's on the porch. But no one knows I have a gambling problem. And no one knows that my gambling problem has got me in some trouble. I haven't told a soul. I'm too nervous to. And as I have that gambling problem, no one knows that I am $500,000 in debt. So I'm just living my life, right? I, I head out, have the porch. Grandma's sitting there on the porch, and she says, bye, Josh. Bye, Grandma. Have a good day. I leave, and about a half hour later, she's sitting on the porch, and this big black SUV pulls up. Two Hulk-looking dudes get out, right? They come to the front door, and they say, hey, is Josh here? And Grandma says, no, he's not here. Can I take a message? And they say, yeah, you can let him know. We're looking for him. He owes us some money. Tell him that we came and that we'll be back later. So grandma, you know, just like a good grandma, what she inquires, well, how much does he owe you? He owes us a half million dollars. And I'm sure, just like you would be, grandma was pretty shocked. I didn't know that. But no one knew that grandma has been saving. She's been saving that when she died, she wanted to give the family some money to go do something great. 
She's saving that money. And so she has it with her and she says, hey, listen, if I pay the $500,000 for him, would, would you take it? Guys are like, sure, I'll take it. So she goes inside, she gets the money, and she hands them the $500,000. She says, he's square, don't worry about it. The men leave, grandma sits back down in a rocking chair, and I show up. Just another normal day. I walk up, hey grandma, how's it going? And grandma says, hey, I got it. can I chat with you for a second? And she says, some men stopped by today. And they said that you owed them a half a million dollars. So what would I start to do, right? I would start to panic. Oh my goodness. I would start inquiring, Grandma, did they hurt you? Did they say anything? What were they, what, what are, they did, are they gonna come back? And what did they say? And Grandma says, listen, hey, listen. They said you owed them $500,000. But Josh, go ahead. I just went ahead and paid it. I had some money I didn't tell anybody about. I just paid it for you. Would I say thank you and walk in the house? No. I would be, Grandma, why would you do that? You were saving that money your whole life. How can I repay you? What can I do? Tell me. I'll go get it back. This is my problem, not yours. And Grandma says, stop. Stop. I made it my problem, and I dealt with it. And now you don't have the debt anymore. See, the natural reaction is when I'm forgiven all of those things, my natural reaction is what can I do for you? See, Jesus, when he died on the cross, didn't just pay for a few of your sins. Friends, he paid for all of them. All of them. Every single one. So Jesus is, God is not walking around up in heaven like a stressed out CEO. He loves you. Because when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he takes all of your debt and makes it his. And so when God looks at me, he looks at the righteousness of Jesus. And when he looked at Jesus on the cross, he looked at all the things I had done wrong. So when the Bible tells us to obey and to do something, friends, it is not out of a a rule-based theology. It is out of a, the love of Christ compels me. It's not that I obey because God is asking me to. It's I obey because there's nothing else I could do. But look at Jesus and go, how can I ever repay you? The love for God drives our obedience. The second thing is revelation comes with our obedience. Revelation comes with our obedience. See, in Psalm 119, 105, Some of you probably heard it. In fact, if you've been in church since you were a kid, this is there. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When God asks us to do something, a lot of times when we kind of push it off, we say, you know what, God, that's too tough. I don't want to do that. When God asks us to do something, a lot of times it stifles our growth in the future. It stops our growth a month, a year, or two years down the road. What the Bible is saying here is your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Notice he didn't say that your word is a spotlight. See, if I had a spotlight right here, I could see the wall back there. I could see all the steps I would need to take. But he says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet, which means I can only see as far as this lamp will go. And if I want to see farther, I got to take a step. 
And if I want to see another step, I got to keep walking. And I got to keep taking steps of faith. I can't see 25 steps ahead of me, but I can see the next one. So friends, listen, some of us, some of us have, have felt like God has been silent in our life. That we have been asking for something or praying for something or looking for guidance and God has been silent in our life. Friends, can I just give you some, a piece of advice? If you're struggling to hear from God, go to the last place you heard from him and obey what he said. If you're struggling to hear from God, go to the last place you heard from him and do what he said to do. Maybe it was to go talk to somebody. Maybe it was something really difficult, like forgive that person. And we told him, no, I'm going to keep going. Revelation will come on the other side of our obedience. And friends, listen, as we look at the differences, we look at these, the differences between these men. The foolish man built his house on the wrong thing. The wise man built his house on the rock. And as we wrap it up, the storm reveals our foundation. As we look at the rest of these verses, we realize that we don't know what our foundation is until a storm comes. Now again, it's a parable, right? Jesus is, is giving, he's giving verbiage here that's not necessarily like a, a literal rainstorm. He's talking about it in the context of a hard time, a struggle, right? You lose your job. Your marriage is struggling. You get cut from a team. Your kids are just running, a, running wild. A struggle comes. And Jesus said that when the wise and the foolish men built their houses, the wind came, the rain fell, and one of the houses was strong. See, when we build our house, on the rock, it may have taken longer, but the guys having a barbecue in the middle of a storm aren't going to do well. They're going to wonder why their house is crumbling when you're going to be over here taking a nap. Because the house is strong. You built it on the right foundation. It doesn't make storms easier, but it makes you go, instead of asking yourself, God, why? Why is this happening to me? You're asking yourself a different question. What do you want me to do here? I know that, I know that life isn't going to crumble because my, my, my life is strong in the foundation, but what do you want me to do? What can I do? As you think about your foundation, an older gentleman once told me that when, we, when it came to this story, he says, listen, uh, everybody is either coming out of a storm, in the middle of a storm, or going into a storm. Life, that's just life. It's, it's back to 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 back. Struggle, struggle. There are days when the storm isn't as heavy, but there are some that are crippling. And the only way we can know if the foundation is strong is when those things come into our life. Because, friends, it's not a matter of if the storm comes. It's a matter of when. But Jesus is a strong foundation. Jesus is a strong foundation. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. 
You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. Listen, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The storm is going to hurt. No one, no one denies that. But the foundation says that you take heart because the one who is in you is greater than that, is stronger than that, is more powerful than that. And in fact, in Mark chapter 4, my favorite stories in all of Scripture Right? When the, when the disciples were in the middle of a great storm, right? They thought they were going to die and Jesus is taking a nap. I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but as you think about that, you can go read it. And Jesus was taking a nap. And when they woke Jesus up in the middle of a hurricane-like storm, Jesus stood. He got up on the edge of the boat. He grabbed the bow and he looked at the storm and said, hey, sit down. Shut up. That's a Josh translation. He said, be quiet and be still. And the hurricane wind and the hurricane waves stopped to the point where the disciples looked at him and went, who is this dude? Who is he? That's the foundation we're putting our lives in. That's the foundation. The one who looks at the storm and says, you be quiet. Be quiet. It's like me talking to a little three-year-old. Hey, sit down. Be quiet. Jesus has got you. He's got you in the middle of this storm. We can trust him because he is a strong foundation. So as we close, here's my simple question to you. Which builder are you? Which builder are you? Are you the wise builder or the foolish one? If you're a Jesus follower in the room, Maybe you're here for the first time. Every one of us is building something. Every one of us. Which builder are you? See, Jesus says to those who hears these words of mine and does them. That's the difference, friends. That's the difference. All of us are in church right now. The difference will come when we walk out. Are we going to do something about it? Are we going to act on it? We take the pages of scripture, and I do this too. I kind of, the ones that offend me, I just kind of explain away. Because the scripture's here, friends, to nourish our soul. It's there to nourish our heart. And I take the, the, the scripture, and I take that nourishment, and I push it away when it doesn't meet what I think life should look like. Maybe you're like me. It's like this. So Julie will tell you, I'm not a fruit guy. I don't, I don't like fruit. I know some of it that's like, you're, you know, that's like, it's a big deal. I don't like fruit, right? I, I may eat an orange every now and then. I'll eat a grape because they're small. You know, I just, I gotta, you know, I gotta appease Julie, and so I'll have a fruit every now and then. You know how I like my strawberries? Dipped in chocolate. You know how I like my apples? Dipped in caramel. Dipped in caramel? Let's go. I'll eat it. Dip a strawberry in chocolate, I'll eat it. But anybody out there, I'm sure all of you are out there going, yeah, but Josh, if you dip it in chocolate and caramel, all the nutritional value goes away. See, that's the thing. When we look at the scripture, a lot of times we dip the scripture in our opinion and justify it away. 
We dip the scripture in our opinion and we just justify it away. We, we think that ah, that doesn't match what I think should happen. And so you know what? I'm not going to obey that. We dip the scripture into our family history and we justify why we don't live it out. We dip the scripture into our culture and justify why we don't share it with anybody else. And when we dip the scripture into our opinion, into our family history, into our culture, guess what? All the value goes away. Because friends, we, God doesn't need my help. Man, I'm telling you, if you haven't been offended by this book, you haven't read it enough. It offends me all the time. We have to stop looking at it and saying, if my opinion differs from the scripture, friends, the default thought has got to be I'm wrong. If my opinion differs from what the scripture says, the default has got to be I'm wrong. It's a Bible teacher at Dallas Theological Seminary. His name was Howard Hendricks. If you've heard of a famous preacher, most likely they sat under Howard Hendricks' teaching. He said this, the word of God is not here to satisfy our curiosity. It's here to change our life. Friends, listen, sitting in here and hearing something new is awesome. Someone unpacking the scripture for you, it's awesome. But listen to me, that's not why God wrote it. It's not here to satisfy our curiosity. It's here to change our life. And as Jesus said, build our life on the rock. Let's hear something and let's do it. Just go obey. He may not be telling you to obey one of my examples, but he's telling you to do something. Maybe he's just telling you to spend some time with me. Carve out time with me. Go obey. Maybe he's telling you that neighbor, you've been praying for him for a couple years now. It's time to go talk to him. Go talk. Wherever you read your Bible or hear a sermon, that moves you, I want you to ask one question of yourself. God, what do you want me to do? From now on, as we hear a sermon that moves us, a podcast that moves us, that talks about the scripture, a simple question we should ask ourselves is this. God, what do you want me to do? I promise you, it'll change your walk. It'll change how you see God. I mentioned this earlier, if you're finding yourself here and this is your first time in church, you're saying, Josh, listen, what am I supposed to obey? Here's the idea. And if you don't have a relationship with God, that is all he wants with you. If you go back to the beginning of your Bible in Genesis, it talks about how God created you. He created you on purpose. He created you because he loves you. And when he created you, he created you for one thing, for a relationship with him. But here's the thing, we, we broke that relationship when we decided to go our own way, when we decided to do our own thing, when we decided to step away and say, God, I know what you said, but I'm going to do this. And we call that sin. And when we decided to sin, it broke that relationship with God. And when that relationship broke, there was no way we could do enough to get back to God. It was a gap the size of the Grand Canyon. We 
can't do enough. We can't come to church enough. We can't give money enough. We can't do enough nice things. We can't give to enough charities. We can't do enough to get that relationship back. But God in his love and mercy and grace says, I don't want you to do anything anymore. I want you to just believe in what I've done. And he says this. The Bible says that Jesus left heaven. He left perfection to come down to earth. And the Bible says that he became a man. He lived as us. He lived like me and you do. He slept, he ate, he drank, he got tired. He was a man. And he lived that life but he did it different than us because he never did anything wrong. That relationship was never broken. And because that relationship was never broken, him and God were always in relationship. But in God, in his infinite love, grace, and mercy, Jesus says, just like that story, I'm going to die not because I've done anything to die. I'm going to die because I want you to be forgiven. So the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that I could become righteous. The Bible says that Jesus knew no sin, but he took everything that I did. So when Jesus looked, when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw my lies. He saw my addictions. He saw my struggles. And he counted them against Jesus. But praise be to God. Jesus died for those sins, and he paid my debt. And the Bible says that he rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, friends, listen to me. God said this, payment accepted. And so now when we look, when God looks down at me, he doesn't see all my sin. I still mess up every day. He doesn't see my sin anymore. He sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He's alive today. Jesus is alive today because he's, he's offering you that free gift. He's offering you the gift of salvation. But the Bible says you have to put your faith and your trust in that work, not what we've done, not what we try and do. And the Bible says if you put your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. If you want to make that decision today, all you have to do is grab that card in front of you. You can write it down. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, Jesus says, Lord, and, and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. He will forgive you of those sins. And if you make that decision today, we'd love to know about it. You can grab a card in front of you. You can go to citywalk.cc and you can, you can tell us about it there, but we would love to know because it's the first decision and a step of many decisions. And friends, if you're saying in here, you're like, Josh, you know what? I've made that decision. I'm a Jesus follower. And I have one simple question for you. What are you going to do about it? Would you pray with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed. As we're in the stillness of this moment, I don't want to talk too much because I'd like to have you listen to the word of God. Maybe God has been talking to you 
through one of the verses that we talked about. Maybe he's been talking to you throughout this whole idea of, God, what do you want me to do? And as you think through that, are we going to take the next step? So with every head bowed and every head closed, I'm just going to be quiet for maybe 15, 20 seconds. And you ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And you listen, and I'll close this in prayer. God's been asking you to do something difficult and you need help. Every week we have some people that stand up here in the front pew. They're worshiping alongside all of us as we sing, but if you need somebody to pray with you, if you need to say, God, I I don't know how to get this done. I don't know what to do. Come and talk to us. Come and talk to one of us. They're sitting up here in the front pew. As As you talk to them, they may be able to pray with you or just encourage you. Maybe they'll give you the idea the next step that you should take. And friend, maybe you made the decision to follow Jesus today. We'd love to meet you. We're not trying to hold you back from anything after church, but we'd love to talk to you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we do come before you humbly, just acknowledging your presence, acknowledging that you, you have forgiven us. You, you do love us and, and that we want to obey you not because it's a requirement. We want to obey you simply because the love that you have for us compels us to do so. So God, as we sing and we worship together, I pray that anybody in here who needs to take a step of faith would do it. I pray that all of us would just do what you're asking us to do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.